0: and the Multifamily Legacy Podcast will show you how. Hey everybody, welcome to the Multifamily Legacy Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Peterson, and today we're gonna talk about something that I think is relevant and timely. It's all about cash flow. Cash flow is king, my friends, and you've got to be start thinking about it more so now than ever, because in this weird market, You're going to want assets that provide lots of cash flow. And so my guest is going to be talking about an asset class that is different from apartments. And I think you're going to really, really enjoy it. But before we get to that, a word from our sponsors. Are you ready to take your multifamily game to the next level and learn the amazing results of living the cash flow life? Apartment investing can change your life. I know for a fact it's changed mine. And I would like to share my extraordinary journey with you and the clues I've learned along the way by giving you my book, Copy Your Way to Success for free. So text the word book, B-O-O-K to 480-500-1127. Again, that's the word book, B-O-O-K to 480 1127 And my team will ship it to you absolutely free as a way to say thank you for listening to this podcast. And remember, your paradise is possible. All right, guys, we're back. So listen, I'm so excited about this guest. The ends out, the good, bad, and the ugly of mobile home investing. So Andrew kill is gonna come and talk about how he's doing it, how he finds his deals, how he's raised private money for it, and just the sentiment of it. It really is fundamentally sound, his business plan. So guys, if you're looking for a different asset class to maybe kind of sprinkle into, this could be your next one. So let's get into it. Hey, Andrew, welcome to the show, brother.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Super excited. We haven't talked about this in a while. And in this day and age of like changing marketplaces and everything that's been going on with multifamily, I thought it was a great opportunity to bring someone else on the show that has a kind of a different niche. And for you, that is mobile home parks. Before we get into that, though, let everybody know who you are.
1: Yeah, for sure. Andrew Keel. My company name is Keel Team. Real estate investments. We focus on mobile home parks, buying from mom and pops throughout secondary markets and value add, improving them and making them better. We have 2,500 lots, give or take, and 34 communities, mobile home communities now. And we're growing. We're cash flow centric and looking to help people diversify outside of Wall Street.
0: Yeah, here's the thing. too, and you're syndicating it, which is the Wall Street piece. But I just think right now, like in a world of where everybody in apartments, at least a lot of friends that I know, everybody's struggling right now. It's like just stay alive to 25, right? <laughs> I've heard that. Story. <laughs> and yet, when you're cash flow heavy, those things don't seem to matter as much, right? And I think that is what the mobile home park is now. I would love for you to go into detail of the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? But first of all, how did you get into
1: it? Yeah, it's a crazy story. I started around central Florida, flipping houses, and through a yellow letter that I mailed out to like a motivated sellers, probate, divorce, you name it. Through a yellow letter I mailed out, someone reached out and had two mobile homes up in Ocala, which is just north of where I live in Orlando. And I went up and it was a very motivated seller. They just wanted $2,200 cash for two mobile homes with titles in hand. I mean, these are vinyl-sided, shingle-roof mobile homes. I didn't know what to do, but I just knew that it had to cost way more to build these things than that. So I bought them and came home and got on YouTube and found a guy named Lonnie Scruggs who wrote a book called Deals on Wheels. And he did this whole program on buying mobile homes, fixing them up, and then selling them on contract to an end buyer out of existing parks. So that's what I did with these two. Bought them both for twenty two hundred bucks, and then sold them individually for twenty five hundred dollars down and two fifty a month, two hundred fifty bucks a month for five years. And I was like, sold at that point. I was like, this is great. Why am I flipping houses, pulling my hair out? So I did nineteen more of those Lonnie deals, and then met Park owner who kind of took me under his wing and basically taught me syndication and how to like buy the whole park instead of just doing these individual Lonnie deals. So I just went all in and like went to all the seminars and everything to learn how to syndicate mobile home parks back in 2015, didn't buy my first park until 2017. And since then, it's just been my sole focus. Oh, wow. So
0: two years of educating. And I think sometimes people forget about this part of the lesson is that a lot of times when you're trying something new, you just don't jump in. You've got to get your feet wet. And start understanding the language, the knowledge, right?
1: Two years going to seminars, courses, events, educating, right? Yeah. Looking back, I didn't know what I didn't know, right? I was Mm -hmm. talking to brokers, but I was saying things disqualifying myself because I didn't know. You weren't in the game. I wasn't in the game yet, right? I was learning all that, but now I talk to those brokers and it's just, it's a much different conversation. Instantaneous, the kind of conversation you can have now, right? Exactly. Exactly.
0: Now, through that though, you finally got enough confidence to that point where you're like, "Okay, I'm ready." Right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then you found a mentor, which I think is another key to success in any business. Is that having a mentor. have someone to take you underneath their wing. Boy, that's so valuable. So, when you started looking at some of the bigger complexes, raising money, that's usually a big falling point for a lot of people. I mean, because now we're not talking about twenty thousand or maybe a hundred thousand. It could be.
1: Half a million to a million dollars. Sure. Yeah. That was the easiest part, believe it or not. At these seminars, I was getting business cards and I got super lucky, Corey. I sat next to a guy at the MHU boot camp who worked at Goldman Sachs in New York at the time. And he said, Hey, dude, I'm really into these mobile home parks. I don't have the time to do the active operating myself, but I really like the thesis, I like the model. And If you're going to go out and do this and find the deals and put them together, like I could be the money partner. So my first five mobile home parks, I bought with this gentleman who took a huge risk on me just from sitting next to me at a seminar. And he basically gave me a check for $5 bucks. We went and bought those first five, and they were all home runs. And then since then, friends and family have wanted to invest with me. And it's just grown. It's been wonderful.
0: It's crazy how money snowballs, right? It does. It really does. It really starts to find its way and be like, oh, okay, I didn't know you did that. It's the first money that's the hardest.
1: And so you actually shortcutted that amazingly well. Oh, I did have struggles too. Like before I went to this guy, I went to like one of the wealthiest guys my family knows who like coached me in little league baseball and basketball. And I'll never forget when I had my whole business plan I put together, my underwriting, I thought I was hot stuff and I went to lunch with him and I was started pitching him and he's like, Andrew, hey, I love you like you're my own son, but there's no way in hell that I'm investing in a trailer park with you. That's what he said. It was just the stigma that caught him off guard. Yeah. A trailer park? Yeah. He didn't even look at the numbers and the numbers like ended up being a home run deal, but it was just the stigma of a mobile home park. So let's
0: talk about that stigma. So what the stigma is and then what's your reality?
1: Yeah, I think people think of 8 Mile and cops, and they see these pictures after a hurricane comes through, and they just think, oh, that's mobile home park living. And it couldn't be farther from the truth. Just like in apartments, there are some slumlords out there that run these things poorly. And then there's also other operators that run their apartments and mobile home parks really, really well. And I think for mobile home parks, it's kind of easy to just kind of clump all those together and say, oh, they're just tin cans, and they're just a tornado away. Some of the new mobile homes that they're building nowadays, Corey, are safer than stick-built homes, and they are extremely nice and so much more efficient. And they're affordable for everybody.
0: It reaches a group of people that are not going to be reached any other way. Exactly. But they still want the same thing that I think everybody wants which is clean, safe, disciplined living. Exactly. Right? No matter what community. I mean, like that's a C-class apartment versus an A-class. They all still want the same thing. I want to come in and I have to worry about stuff.
1: Right? Exactly.
0: And it's all dependent upon the operator.
1: That's exactly right. Yeah. And going back to the good, bad, and the ugly. Yeah, it is affordable housing that we're dealing with. We focus on all age communities. We want the tenants to own their homes. So they're just paying for the dirt underneath of it. And that gives us a lot of safety. When they own their homes, they tend to take care of it more and they're not going to find anything cheaper. You know, 300 bucks a month for lot rent is very affordable. So that's obviously the good.
0: I grew up in a small town, right? And trailer parks were everywhere, right? So I grew up in a town like 20,000 people. And there's some one of the outlying trailer parks you're like, yeah, that's where the meth's at, right? Sure. But then there's like three or four, like ones that are closest and that were really ran nicely. And Everybody had nice cars. Most of them did own their trailer, right? Mm -hmm. Unless something happened and then they would sell it to the owner of the trailer park, right? And then you would go out and probably resell it or refinance or offer terms because you want someone that's the
1: pride of ownership is everything, right? That's a huge part of it, Corey, because when they own that home, I mean, they won't leave because it's so affordable. You know, they're paying 300 bucks a month typically for just lot rent.
0: Yeah, the thought to go somewhere else is like, wait a second. I don't want to spend six fifty for that, and I'm already living great. I have more disposable cash to go do whatever I want.
1: Yeah, make repairs to their home and so forth. So, yeah, it's an interesting model. I think that's the good is there's such demand for affordable housing, and we're able to solve that by increasing the occupancy and offering affordable housing. Some of the bad, I think we touched on. Mobile home parks, there's more being torn down every year than there are new ones being developed, right. That's like a key component to all of this is that the supply of mobile home parks in the country is shrinking every year, yeah, not in my backyard exactly. No one wants to have a new mobile home park developed right behind their subdivision. And then also, they're getting torn down and big apartment multifamily complexes are being built where they are because it's zoned properly for multifamily. So it's a conundrum, but I think that, At the end of the day, manufactured housing can be built for like half of what stick-built on-site-built housing can be built for. Right. It's definitely got to be brought up in the conversation of how to solve affordable housing.
0: Now, to find the owners, is it still broker relationships now that you're buying bigger communities, or is it direct mail?
1: Most of our leads come from cold calling, actually.
0: You develop the list of all the target areas that you want, and then you start calling.
1: That's exactly right. Yeah. We have 8,000 parks that meet our criteria and we call it a couple times a month. And we're just trying to network with those owners, stay in touch with them, build relationships and be there when they want to sell because it's a lot about timing with baby boomers. All
0: of it is. Exactly. I wasn't going to sell one of my properties, but this guy kept on asking. And one day I was like, okay, I'll sell it. He gave me the price. It was right. And we didn't even have a broker involved. And I was like, beautiful. Everybody wins, right? Yeah. Makes it easier for everybody. And why not? I mean, it's doing exactly what you're saying. That's the long game. Most people are not trying to play that game. And that's unfortunate because
1: it's short-sighted, right? Yeah. It's more work. You're getting a deal from a broker where they kind of teed it up and they have the OM all function for you versus going to an owner where you're getting choppy financials. Yeah. He's
0: like, hold on. I think I got this, but I'm not sure. You're like, that's what I want, right? That smells like money.
1: (laughs) Yeah. The ones where we're buying the property from a mom and pop who's keeping their rent roll on a yellow pad of paper and answering the phone on a flip phone. Those are the ones we know we're making money walking in. So you could go into those and just add systems and processes, right? That's
0: right. And software, right, to manage that. I'm sure there's software for the industry. If not, what software do you use?
1: We use a couple of different ones, but Rent Manager is the big one for the industry and it's very okay, popular.
0: Perfect. So there's a software that you can help that allows probably people to pay on a portal or pay online, right? Yep happens all the time. They pay with their credit card. They put it there and it's done. Money shows up. Now, because I'm not in it, so I'm going to ask some rookie questions here probably. So, you buy the park. Now, when you buy the park, you're really just buying the land that all the parks or all the units live under unless maybe that park owner owns some of the units as well,
1: Right. Yeah. Typically there'll be some that like have, for whatever reason, the park owner owns, and then we're acquiring the business, which includes the land. Plus so he'll
0: still own that or will they try to sell give you everything?
1: We typically get everything, though know, the homes and the real estate, and then we'll take over whatever notes they have in process with the current tenants. Okay.
0: Yeah. So if they've got any notes, that's what you're, you're taking over all those notes as well, right?
1: That's right. Yeah.
0: Now, is that just an added benefit? Like someone uh, can't pay, right? their own house payment or mortgage payment on their building or their mobile home, right? And it ends up being bad, it goes bad, they get in default for whatever reason. I gotta think that like the manufactured home doesn't wanna get that and go pick it up. I don't think they do,
1: do they? Very rarely. So if it's a brand new home and there's still a loan on yeah. it, you know, they they would come and they repossess could repossess it, it but there's new systems now where the park owner is required to sign on the loan as well. Oh, when a
0: new one comes in?
1: When a new one comes in, like 21st Mortgage does that and some of the other ones. So you're on the note. So if the tenant defaults, you get six months to resell it. And then if you don't sell it in six months, then you have to start making the note payment and the home stays in the community, which is actually good for community owners because, you know, it gives you time. It works with your business model and the the flows of income. Okay.
0: And then it's probably not part of the business plan, but it is part of the business plan. I would think sometimes that happens, right? And I would think those would be good things because to me, that's a motivated seller.
1: It is a motivated seller. I would say most of the time, it's not brand new homes that are getting defaulted. It's more so like the older homes that for whatever they got, came into hard times, and then we have to evict them, but then they own the home it takes about another 30 days to evict the home and like file for abandonment. And then we would get title to the home and then we could fix it up and then resell it. So Okay, so yeah, you get a title because it's a mobile home, it's a title issue. Personal property, yep, exactly.
0: Yeah, okay. Which is still faster than I would think that little then going through a whole REO process.
1: Oh, much faster, yeah. yeah. But I mean, it still has hiccups. Right. You need VIN numbers and the whole bit, but yeah, much faster.
0: Okay, so then you can get that, and from there, that happens. Do you go and renovate inside? Is that something?
1: Typically, we will. Yeah, Well renovate it because the better the quality it is, and the better it is, like the better quality tenant you're going to get, and the longer they're going to stay. So,
0: right, and you're just going to resell it on terms. Am
1: I right? That's right. Yep. And then you still get your lot rent too, which is your base. Exactly. Exactly. So typically, when we sell a home, we'll sell it for six fifty a month, and that's a home payment plus lot rent, which is about three hundred bucks, and in about 24 to 36 months, they'll own the home and just pay lot rent. That's the golden ticket. That's kind of what you want, right? Well, you want at least a good mix of that, right? We want all of ours to be tenant-owned homes. And that's what the financing, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, the best debt in the space, they want tenant-owned homes. Like Less than 20% can be park-owned, but they want the majority to be tenant-owned homes because of the reliability of the income. Beautiful.
0: That makes so much sense. Now, I'm trying to look for a percentage difference like versus apartments or something like that. I'm not sure if you have that data or if you'd kind of know those statistics, but why mobile homes versus apartments?
1: Yeah. First off, you're going to go in at a higher cap rate, right? Just because of the asset class and kind of the stigma and the extra management. I mean, I'm sure in apartments, if you buy a C-grade apartment complex, you're going to have extra management. But in mobile home parks, it's different. And there's not really any good third-party property management companies that just are like on it, like that you can trust. Where in apartments, you can trust a local company that is has a lot of units under their portfolio. But I would say the big benefit is the lower repairs and maintenance costs. Right. Because when the tenants own their homes... Just
0: take care of the grounds, right?
1: Yeah. Our expense ratios are 30% typically. 30% of the gross income goes to expenses. That's your taxes, insurance, management. It could be easier to manage and easier to more reliable income. But there's still stuff that happens and a good management company will stay on top of it. Right.
0: So you do use management companies. Do you use someone that lives on site or no?
1: Yeah. So our management company is in-house. We're vertically integrated. We manage all of our own stuff and we'll have an on-site manager that's just part-time on site. Basically just our eyes and ears. Everything else is handled off-site, the organization, the rent collection, everything.
0: When you say that, is to get your lot rent for free. Is that kind of... Or do you pay them?
1: Yeah, lot rent for free. We'll typically pay them like 15 bucks an hour, something like that. Perfect, right? So it's a win for them too. Oh, yeah. And typically it'll be like the queen bee of the community that has the nicest home and is on social security. So they have fixed income. They're home all the time. That's typically who will make our manager and they do such a great job. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, it can be intensive, but it doesn't, right? And I love that the part that you've vertically integrated. We just did that this year for our apartment investing. And I think it's going to go down as 2023 was the best decision that I made was to take all that stuff over. Wow. Right? Yeah. Because property management, fee-based, they never have
1: good intentions with your money. (laughs) <laughs> you're 100% right.
0: Or they just don't care. They don't. Or they just don't care.
1: Yeah, it's all about time for them and how much time they got to dedicate to that. But when you own it, there's that extra white glove treatment that you're on it. You're taking that extra step.
0: You're gonna make a, hey, do we need to do this? Is this the right repair? Is there anybody that can do it cheaper? You're gonna ask more better questions. Yeah. That's what I've found, right? And it's like, my God. Yesterday I was doing financials on one property that we just took over. And I don't know how I didn't see this before, but like we spent $36,000 in snow removal. And it's one of the Mm. smallest properties that I've got. And the one that's like triple the size, it spent $20,000 for the whole year. And it's three times the size. And I'm like, oh, Lord, who approved this, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. snow plowing is a big expense. Yeah. I mean, it can add up quick.
0: Then let's talk about financing a little bit more the raising the money part of it. What kind of terms or how do you usually structure a deal like that? Because I'm thinking like these are like long-term split. Do you ever want to sell these? Or is it really just about getting them and operating for cash flow for long-term?
1: That's what our model is, is buy and hold. There's other operators that have a five or seven-year time horizon, and then they try to exit. But ours is, hey, we want to buy these things, refinance, pull out all the initial capital and maybe a little bit more at the refi point and then lock in long-term agency debt. Yep.
0: and that lock-in period, is that what you're just gonna cash out your investors to, right, is that the goal? So we actually don't cash out our investors, they stay in the deal on ours. You just give them back their money, the principal, and they get a piece of it from here on out.
1: Exactly, yep, they'll get a pref plus their money back and then they get a piece of the equity into perpetuity.
0: That's a win-win, like their infinite returns at that point.
1: Exactly, yeah, and the tax benefits of fully depreciating these things is huge as well we're typically able to depreciate 75 to 80% of the purchase price, which is really good in today's day and age.
0: Yeah, that is beautiful. So they get all the benefits of any other syndication type of product out there and something that actually cash flows very well. So that's usually the biggest concern for them is what am I going to make, right? Like, how does this thing going to pay me? Like, no, no, this is the beauty of this model is that it does spit off cash, lots of it. It's a higher cap rate.
1: It totally does, yeah. And I mean... What we're targeting is like off-market, direct-to-owner deals, mom-and-pops, secondary markets, mainly throughout the Midwest, the high cash flow markets. You're not going to like triple the value of these things in a couple of years. It's not like a play like that. It's a cash flow play. You're buying it for the income and what we can get the income to. It's not a huge appreciation play. Yeah.
0: Listen, cash
1: flow is key.
0: I don't care what anybody says. Everybody that's a fix and flipper out there or buying and selling all the time you're doing yourself a disservice because I look back and I wish I would have never sold any of the ones that I sold, right? I still wish I had them. But sometimes you do to buy more cash flow. I get it. But that's got to be the key because cash flow can weather any market cycle. Amen. Right? Yeah. And that's what we're in right now is a market cycle that's kind of crazy. Now, the type of lending that you'd get on that, is it Freddie Fannie or is it initially a bridge or is it initially like what kind of lending on some of these parts?
1: Yeah. So typically, like we own a park just outside of Sioux Falls, South Dakota. We'll find a local lender up there, local bank that'll finance us, typically 75% leverage, 10-year term, five-year fixed rate. And that's what we do going in. So that's our bridge facility, but it's a 10-year term, five-year fixed, and then adjust for another five. So it's not like we're Doing a true bridge. You want to be able to have the ability to refi at that fifth year. Exactly. That's the plan. And like, if we can refi, like the last couple of years, we've refied in two or three years, we're going to do that while interest rates are trying to go up on us. But yeah, the whole goal is to buy with those local banks. Fannie and Freddie have specific guidelines of what they want these parks to look like. They need to be 90% or more occupied. They need to have less than 25% park-owned homes. They need to have paved off-street parking. They need to check all these boxes. The hitches have to be removed or covered. So we have all of that. And now we're just going to take that model and go to these properties, fix them all up, and get them so they will qualify
0: take the next five years or whatever long it takes to get it to that spot. And you're like, all right, now we get the best financing out there. Exactly. And we have a takeout. We can get our investors back to the principal. And now we're in it
1: to win it. And we're partnering with the government that is incentivizing affordable housing. Yep. So it's a win-win and for the investors and the tenants because Fannie's very strict. Like They do an engineering report. Right of the property. They're going to make you fix your sidewalks. If there's bumps in them or if someone could trip and fall, they're going to make sure that you have everything, no deferred maintenance, which helps everybody.
0: Yeah, exactly. Which improves everything, right? So everybody gets to truly win in that scenario. Well, listen, man, I've learned a lot that I didn't know on in this asset class. If people want to learn more about you and your company, where do they find you at?
1: Yeah. The best way would be on our website. It's keelteam.com. That's just K-E-E-L-T-E-A-M.com. You can fill out the contact form and get in touch with us there. Awesome.
0: So as we kind of wrap it up, a couple questions. Any books that you've been reading lately that's really like kind of turned the needle up a little bit or something that you've really enjoyed reading lately?
1: Yeah. One that comes to mind is Leaders Eat Last. Just talking about servant leadership and building a team based on that has been huge. Simon Sinek. Yeah, awesome. I have not read that one, but I've
0: heard a lot about it. So I'm gonna actually put that on my list because I've heard so many good things, reviews on it so far. And then if you could give the listeners any advice, what would you tell them?
1: Man, I would say it's all about the deal. The money will come. I think people get caught up trying to like have investors lined up before they actually have a deal. I would say, hey, go find a deal that's a really good one that you really believe in and the money will flow. It's really about the deal first.
0: Yeah, the deal is the key crucial piece because there's lots of people, just like you said, you sat by a guy that has lots of money. Networking, I would say, would be the second biggest thing you can do, right? Yeah. Find a good deal and network your butt off because there's someone that wants to finance that deal for sure that has money. And what a great story. I would have never thought about how quickly you've accessed, you've got a huge portfolio in a fairly short amount of time, probably without as much competition as a lot of others out there, because you're going direct. It's a much easier and nicer conversation. So kudos to you, brother. I think the kill team may be onto something.
1: Oh, thank you, Corey. I'm a big fan and really appreciate all the content you put out, man. And thanks for having me on the show.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Well, listen, guys, if you're listening right now, there's so many ways to make money in real estate. I swear to God, every time (laughs) I do a podcast, I find something else. I'm like, rabbit, rabbit. (laughs) Mobile home parks, you know, someone talked about self-storage the other day. I'm like, gosh, maybe I need to look into self-storage. But there's so many ways. And here's the truth is, find something that really works for you, go at it with a lot of passion, and just work on it daily. It's not rocket science, guys, but it does take a little bit of work, takes a little bit of ingenuity, but it takes a belief, guys. You gotta start it in your mind first. Guys, if you believe it, you can achieve it. And your paradise is possible.